Hey, what's up, guys? Matt Wild. It's been a long time since I've used that name. Sitting here right now with my tag team partner for the brand new Blown Spot Pro Wrestling Podcast. My tag team partner. You guys know him from uh, What's Your Effin' Bitch Podcast. Uh, of course, he's going by a little different name today, Mr. Christopher Michaels. Old name from way the fuck back. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, why are we going by old gimmick names, old character names? Well, because we're going to be talking pro wrestling, and nothing makes me feel older than talking to an old tag team partner of mine who started his career as a love genie, got a little darker from it, then all of a sudden became, well, somebody who was addicted to champagne, liked to bring heat, and now it's just a homicidal half breed, Mr. Tony Morales. Tony, how you doing? How's it? Doing good, man. Long time no talk. Shoot. Yeah, very long time. Now, for those that, that may not be familiar, but listening in may not be familiar, uh, T- Tony is a uh, professional wrestler from the Colorado Territories. However, that's obviously not where he spends his whole entire career. Just his. Uh, it's fair to say your home, your home territory, correct? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, been right. here for been back for almost ten years now. So. Ten years. Where, where were you for a while? Uh, I was in Amarillo, Texas for about four years. The Blanchard <laughs> Domping Grounds. Hell yeah. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, you'll you'll learn quick that uh my boy here is uh an encyclopedia of old school men uh <laughs> <laughs> I'm a throwback machine, bro, I promise you. You bring up something, I know something from the seventies or fifties about it or whatever. Hey, that worked for me, shoot. Yeah, <laughs> and just for everybody to know, we are also going to be live on Twitch. Uh, you can find it at twitch.tv/slash Wild High Plays. Uh, the link is being posted to my Facebook account, Christopher Michael Stolly. It is up and live now, so you guys can join the fun and the conversation. If you have any questions for Mr. Morales or myself or Mr. Richards, please feel free to comment down below. But uh. Yeah, let's 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 get down to brass tacks, Tone. All right, uh, what made you even want to become a professional wrestler? Let's jump right to I it. Was, <laughs> I was an old school fan, man. I grew up uh, grew up in the eighties. Was a big uh, you know, liked Hogan. Was a big fan of Brutus the Barber Beefcake, actually, which is uh, got me got me some looks over the years. <laughs> well, yeah, you don't but, you don't you know, expect a lot of people to choose Beefcake as as their number one wrestler. Yeah, but you know, it was the '80s. You know, he was walking around cutting people's hair. You know, for you know, a six to eight year old kid, that was awesome. <laughs> it was a cool gimmick back then in the cartoon days. Fair enough. All right, yeah, um, not, good. Oh, I was saying, you know, got in from you know, loved it from there. Had a couple of friends I grew up with. We did a little bit of wrestling. You know, we called it basement wrestling. You know, backyard, whatever you want to refer to it as. Right. You know, I ended up ended up uh, was a big fan of Shane Helms from the old WCW, little <laughs> Sugar Shane, and uh, turns out he was actually um, wrestling locally between the downfall of WCW and going to WWE, <clears throat> and I happened to hear about it off his website and got my friend to drive me up there and we went and saw the show and talked to some people, uh, a couple you know people you remember obviously you know Corpse, uh, Psycho Sarge, right. You know, talked to them from there. You know, did some searching around, found the old RMCW training academy, <laughs> and you know, kind of just went from there. 
Who'd you school with, man? Who uh, who actually worked you between the ropes? Um, you know, Matt helped me out quite a bit, actually. The, the official trainer was uh, oh, man, what was it? Good old Robert. Um, oh, Robert you know, Amador, uh, shock therapy, yeah. or super, not shock therapy? Yeah, super, super destroyer. destroyer. Super destroyer, actually. Yeah, Robert Amador. I can never remember his last name. Saved my life. <laughs> but, yeah, the, no, um, the fun, late fun story, Robert actually. Yeah. Yeah, he so, uh, passed away like seven years ago now. Something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been he's been gone a while, unfortunately. Yeah. Great, great dude. In all honesty, probably one of the biggest bullshitters I've ever met, and I <laughs> completely and utterly mean that as a compliment. Uh, man, the man can spin a yarn, but he can mess you up if you try to call him out on it. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I I have living proof. I still remember one matchup. One of those. One of those. Uh, one of those crazy matches Queen May oh, came yeah. up with that show where uh, I took a concussion and have no memory of this match at all, all because I pissed him off one day. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome to hear somebody else use that line. <laughs> now, yeah, I um, went up there, freaking drove my car up there. Within, like, I think in a day or two, I had actually gotten pulled over and found out that I apparently no longer had a license because I used to speed because I was young and dumb. And had to take, I had to take a bus to the Greyhound station because I live in Colorado Springs. Take the Greyhound to Denver, then take a taxi cab to the training center, and I would do that twice a week for about eight months or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that because I think it was a couple times I was, I would, when I had a vehicle, I would drive you to the to the Greyhound station or whatever. Or on the rare occasion, because my mother lived in Colorado Springs, I would actually drive him home if it was like. I was heading down to visit her anyway. <laughs> yeah. Rare occasion. I forgot about that actually. I, I, but uh, all right. So yeah, you you, you definitely, definitely you definitely had a lot of hands yeah, in. But it was ridiculous freaking to do that. Get home at like midnight every night. <laughs> and at the time, you were still uh, holding down an, uh, a regular oh, nine to nine. five. Correct. I actually had two jobs at the time. I was a lifeguard in the morning, and then I was working uh, for Walgreens in the photo department in the afternoon. So you were you were maintaining two jobs plus so, chasing this dream. Like, was was it really that important to you, or was it just something that's like, ah, it's something to do? No, I loved it, man. I was all I was all about it. It was you know being a kid. You know, didn't really know what I wanted to do other than be a wrestler. Right. Well, it explains why you're still doing it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, as of uh, two, three weeks ago, I'm 18 years officially. 18 years. Jesus Christ. Yes, Thank you for 18 making years in the ropes. Yeah. Huh? That's cool. Thank you for making oh, me feel that ancient. much older. Yes. The, yeah. the, this you're asshole. Old ben. No, this, <laughs> this, this asshole. Okay. When I, when I was working with him, I was in my twenties and, uh, he was the only one to make me feel like shit on my 25th birthday. Because everybody else just happy birthday, happy birthday. This little sh- jerk off would come around. Happy quarter of a century. Yeah. yeah that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Uh, all right. So uh, what was your first match? Refresh my memory. Oh um, uh, First match was at Sheridan Rec Center. I was doing, like, like you, you know were so gracious to point out I was Raheem the Love Genie. <laughs> I didn't come up with that. Queen Maeve. 
<laughs> no, you came up with the catchphrase, though, if you remember. I don't remember it. No, what was it? Uh, it was uh, slow, medium, and your wish was my command. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, my God. That, was that me? Really? That. <laughs> that, was, that was you. Yeah. Really? <laughs> There yeah. sounds like there's a big Papa Pump influence going on there. Uh, it was it was off of some it was off of something. I can't remember the exact reference, but it was a reference from some movie. Probably a fucking Kevin Smith thing. <laughs> Probably. We were all about it back then. You were actually the guy that got me into all the Kevin Smith movies, all the view skews. Nice. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so you you're your first match as as Raheem the Love Genie, you're taking on Queen Maeve. Uh, who, by the way, stuck him with that gimmick to begin with. Uh, if memory serves correctly, that was that That's was Maeve's right. brainchild. <laughs> mm-hmm. And make the boots, the horn, horn tipped, and everything. Yeah, yeah. Took a pair of old combat boots and gave him the uh, the curled toe. That <laughs> yeah, was ridiculous. It and was. I know two or, two or three guys ended up using those boots afterwards, and I believe the horns are still there. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's that's she, hilarious. She does good work. What can I say? So anyway, yeah. So you you spent some time as as Raheem the Love Genie. How how long did you spend in that gimmick? Not very. I think Raheem was maybe five matches before he got turned a little darker. At the at the I think it was five matches before we tra- uh, transferred to the gym. Yeah, that it, sounds like Christopher Michael's career. <laughs> Well, Raheem, Raheem was a great gimmick. It really was, but it wasn't a serious gimmick. Um, it wasn't meant to be serious, and obviously that was a that was a a role you really wanted no, to it take. Wasn't, I don't know. I, I looking back now, I wish I'd have given. Yeah, I never. I I was not a fan. It was like right after you know the bombing, the plane crash in two thousand one, mm-hmm. and you know I wasn't. I, I my dad's bringing twenty year military man, and I didn't feel comfortable with the gimmick. Like looking back now. You know, like most rookies do when they're given an off-the-wall gimmick. You know, I'd wish I'd have gone back and really done something with it. Well, kind of you did but, when you, know. you when you dropped the red and yellow, the Hogan colors, for purple and black and changed Rahim to Malik Abu Rahim, the Jinn. Now, let's talk about yeah, that gimmick. The Jinn the the was fun. <laughs> Let's talk about that gimmick. Uh, no, um, yeah, yeah. That gimmick is one of the first times. That... It was again Queen Maeve. It was Queen Maeve, but really it was because Queen Maeve wanted to. Uh, Queen Maeve could no longer ha- actively wrestle in in the business because she had a brain aneurysm that she actually survived. Um, but she still wanted to be involved in wrestling in some way, so she wanted to manage, and she approached me and Tom into coming up with alternate, more gothic, anti-Christ-style gimmicks to be a tag team under her management. Mm-hmm. And we were able to darken the the love genie into the gin, and I took on the moniker of the 13th Apostle. And Tony and I became a fairly competent tag team known as the Fallen. I, I'm leaving the uh, dra- dramatic pause for you to, to choose from there. That's oh, actually yeah, a pretty cool gimmick name, actually. Yeah, no, the Fallen was Fallen was great. It was you know the first real time that I you know we'd gotten any real momentum. I felt like in the crowd, though you know for what we were able to pull at the time, the crowd was pretty, really into that gimmick. Among you know more so than most of the other ones. 
Oh, absolutely. And uh, how long how long did you run as the Jin, whether as the Fallen or or uh, individually, separately? Uh, I don't think we other than other than when we lost the tag titles. I think it was the only maybe one, maybe two matches as a Jin uh, without you know without doing it as a, or doing it as a singles. Okay. Uh, so. I wish I could claim the same, but unfortunately, the Apostle had a career beyond the Fallen. People, what, um, people love it. Going, going from that gimmick, and you launched the straps as a as the tag team unit of the Fallen. What did that translate you to your first push as a singles guy? Uh, not really. I think we'd actually. I think I'd actually left. No, I don't, we. The federation had actually uh, closed because it was it was Rocky Mountain Championship Wrestling at that time. Rocky Mountain. I remember Rocky Mountain. Yeah. You know, and then uh, the uh, the uh, with the rise of the NWA affiliates, with uh, with the start of TNA, they started doing all these. Oh, every you know, you could own the NWA for X amount of dollars. Blah blah blah. Yes. And uh, somebody had come in and started NWA Rocky Mountain, and they had utilized. They had uh, picked and chose uh, which talents they wanted and which talents they, quite frankly, did not want to use. And unfortunately, the Fallen were on the chopping block. Even though at the time, we were probably one of the more hotter uh, properties in RMCW at the time. And, and that's not talking ego. That's just we for for what the roster had, surprisingly, we were not only a solid tag team. Yeah, we were definitely one of the hottest acts. We were, we were a fan favorite for... Well, the thing was, we didn't... We weren't exactly... Uh, Good. Yeah, but it, we were not an office favorite. Was what the problem was. No, that's that's exactly we, it. There was definitely, there were definitely two distinct, uh, you know, sections of the RMCW locker room. There were those who were, you know, liked by the office, and those who were not. And we were definitely the rebels of the group. <laughs> Which, of course, putting late- it nicely. Which, of course, later led to uh, a, a, a solid career as Champagne Tony Morales, which you were kind of doing behind the scenes besides the gin uh, when you first were breaking away from Raheem was really kind of where you birthed Tony Morales, correct? Hello? Um, actually, no, it was, uh, funny thing was Tony Morales was actually um, what, I did, what I did in the backyard. Okay. That, was, that was my original idea when I was So like, Tony Morales was your, your that was your yeah, original was uh, gimmick of growing up wrestling in the backyard in the basement. That's what you called yourself. Was that uh, was that yeah. who was that a tribute to? I'm just kind of messing around. Actually, it was uh, my middle name and my mother. Okay, name. my first my first and the champ the champagne part actually came from uh, I had an old uh, English or uh, social studies teacher. And he always called me Champagne Tony after a famous golfer, if I remember correctly. Okay. I see I never I never got where you where the champagne part came from. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going by Morales. The first question was is that a tribute to Pedro? But uh um, No, actually I get that I get that a lot actually. People would always ask me at random shows if Pedro Morales was my grandfather. And no, there's no actual blood relation between the two of us. What What is ironic, though, the, is I do remember um, first, him playing uh, a, a mask gimmick once in a while for, for uh, Battle Royals. That was Pedro Morales. 
No, it's Pedro Escobar. Or Pedro Escobar, that's right. Yeah. Which nobody told told me was a famous drug dealer. (laughs) He was. Yeah. Let me introduce you to this little show called Narcos. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Now I know. Oh man! But actually, there's actually three. There's three Escobar brothers. There was Pablo, Pedro, and Angel, and we were the amazing high-flying Escobar brothers. Of the Escobars, Angel was actually the most cutthroat of killers, which is kind of crazy knowing the stories about Pablo and and everything. But Angel was uh, considered to be the most psychotic of the three. Oh, I didn't actually realize Angel Escobar was a you know. Part of this as well. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I apparently need to watch more television. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah. So, you know, Champagne, Champagne had, was starting to have his own career, um, which later led to, you know, the, you were mentioning about the Rebels, which led to the resurrection of a gimmick I ran out here in Philadelphia that had an unceremonious ending at the time. And probably one of the funnier mm-hmm. gimmicks that we would pull on people. Of course, we're talking about the rebirth of YGW. How did you feel about uh, Champagne's turn in that aspect? In which case, he was—he oh, yeah. was uh, taking on more of a comical approach. Yeah, unfortunately, we never really got that off the ground as much as you know. I think either one of us would have liked, but it was what the two of us and Paul Diamond. You, me, Paul Diamond, and we were we were constantly torturing people like uh, 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 Jerry Snowbarger and Max Mages. <laughs> uh, I'll never, right. I'll never, I'll never forget the fallen deviled ham. That whole bit. We. Oh we, yeah, no, that was that was a classic bit. All the all the gimmicks. I forget I forget the reason why we were doing it, but uh, it was a, it was a gimmick where we came out with like a shopping cart full of shit. And it was like uh, YGW was trying to sell shit. And we were just throwing our label on everything. Mm-hmm. Like, I think um, it was just to entertain ourselves, basically. I think the whole thing was we were trying to do like the old uh, merchandise thing. Yeah, we were just trying we, to sell everything we could. We were, we were pulling the whole public enemy thing. So it's like the, the official YGW ham, the official YGW uh, uh, soda, the official YGW toilet paper. And then we come across a, a can of deviled ham. We're like, fallen deviled ham. How'd yeah, that get in there? toilet paper these days, shoot. stupid shit like that and we're like we were we were we almost took a dead ted dibiase approach to it too because didn't we buy like the ring announcer and the and uh the referee and shit like uh max majors at the time was the referee and he'd walk around with a price tag on his earring oh god that's right (laughs) or if you remember all about that or if you remember that time we were doing shows where we were giving away well where shows were giving away free beer and there was a tip cup, like you couldn't buy the beer because you had to have a license to buy beer. Mm-hmm. So you buy a ticket, you got the beer for free, but we was encouraged to tip the bartender, the, the, the guy, you know, giving out the beer. Well, I got it in my head to put in a uh, uh, an official YGW tip cup and put it right next to it, and we made more money than the bartender. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> I remember somehow at the end of that night, I still ended up getting beer spit in my face from somebody. Probably Prodigy. Probably Prodigy. But uh, did, you, did you at least split your tip with the bartender? Uh, we gave it to him. It, it was his. We just we we <laughs> thought it'd be funny to put it there. Uh, I wasn't yeah. gonna. We weren't gonna take the money away from him. We, we that was his tip money. We just wanted to see who would make more. <laughs> and uh, 
And the reason I bring all this up and bringing this real quick is because now we're going to dig into the meat and potatoes of the of the career that yeah. uh, that I, I might really have don't them know. later, but it was all in fun. It was all in fun, but uh, so now okay. the, with the ending of YGW and the 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 end of the tenure that you and I had together, this is where we get into the meat and potatoes. Where did your career go from here? Like, what led to the Heat Seeker, and then obviously to the uh, homicidal half breed type characters? Like, where have you gone from the RMCW days? Well, with our, with after RMCW, because I was a uh, I was the interregional champion back then, mm-hmm. and you know I, I'd lost the belt and I'd left because of I think work scheduling, because we were always running on those. Uh, we were in like Thursday nights, and I just couldn't I couldn't maintain it. Right. Well, I had started training with uh, the Altitude Pro Wrestling Academy under Psycho Sarge and Billy V, and because they, they had started Fusion, and whether it was right or not, which like, will always be up for debate, <laughs> you know, those guys, those guys would get in your head that you were you were the best if you trained with them. Right. Like I said whether whether or not that was true, you know, they would tell you and you would believe it. Was what it was. But I definitely felt like it did give me a different aspect of training, because I'd always I'd train anywhere I could. That was always my goal, you know. And you would give me, you know, kind of a different take on stuff, being from the East Coast. And Sarge had given me a different take because he had gone and trained with Les Thatcher. Right. And then, uh, you know, on top of that, Sarge was also bringing in. Like, he would bring in guys like Les Thatcher and guys like Harley Race. For like you know three four day seminars, and then they would do the show and then critique you and you know it, it it helped me grow. So I I jumped on that, and you know the thing with Fusion at the time is in state they'd have you know if you were going to train there you were exclusive, which again fed into the whole we're better than everybody else mentality, whether it was right or wrong. Right. That was always something I battled so, against yeah. in Colorado, which again goes back to like you were saying how we weren't uh, exactly like the uh, the uh, the the front offices boys because uh, independent circuit. The one thing you are not is unless you're paying my bills, I am not exclusive. <laughs> I go where the work is. <laughs> so how, how'd that work out for you when with with uh, them telling you you had to be exclusive to to to, to work their shows? We weren't the most well liked guys. So, in the territories, especially in the independents in the in the 21st century now, the last 20 years, the front office boys. Yeah, and then also being a front office non-favorite uh, could be pretty damaging oh, yeah, to keep you off guard. You know, we were definitely victims of that. Um, you know, and, uh, I guarantee you. Know, you and, and yeah, fusion though, you know, we were able to. I, that was when. I kind of took the reins a little bit for a lot of the um, newer guys, and I was actually, you know, the guy getting a hold of people out of state, and that's when we were traveling every weekend. We'd go to Texas, or we'd go to Kansas, or, you know, we even we would drive 20 hours to California and work for All Pro Wrestling. Right. Oh, you did some, you did some cards for All Pro. Uh, how'd, how'd that go? For you? It was great. Um, we just did the we just did one, unfortunately. Okay. Which actually led to a great story about breaking into a houseboat in Wyoming. Awesome. That is a good story. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, funny that we, uh, we were driving up there, and JDT's car, which of course was his mother's car, we were all like early 20 kids, blah, blah, blah. 
um, one of the um, it, the engine messed up, and we got we got stuck overnight because they couldn't get to us in the morning because it was like maybe midnight by the time when everything had happened. <laughs> so we had nothing better to do and about eight hours to kill, and they just left us in this big barren field and there happened to be a houseboat there. <laughs> We figured, hey, there's probably a bed in that houseboat, and we might have broken in there. <laughs> well, they deserve it for leaving the boat out in the middle of a fucking field. My first, my first guess was, there's not any lakes, lakes in Wyoming that you would just find a houseboat on. So this had to be on someone's property. But I didn't want to jump in there with that. Yeah. And why would you have a houseboat in Wyoming? What's, what's right. the benefit of living in Wyoming, let alone <laughs> having a houseboat in Wyoming? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. It just uh, makes sense. Oh, Jesus Christ. So we ended up having to, we ended up sleeping there. We ended up like, I think me and one other guy stayed up, like we slept in shifts, just to be on the safe side in case, for the love of God, somebody came back to this boat in Wyoming, this houseboat in Wyoming that night. <laughs> yeah, because maybe it was broken down too. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> so like next morning we got the super team belt fixed and we were on our way. way. <laughs> so, yeah. Like if you wake up this morning and you're both being towed down the highway, waking up in these fucking bunk beds, and you're like, what the hell? You're yeah, like exactly. 100 miles away from where you left your car. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Jesus. So. All right, so I definitely I definitely got to gotta ask, uh, at what point did you drop the champagne moniker and go with the more and, – and, and explain to me because I, I think I understand it, but for everybody else, the moniker of the Heat Seeker. Like when when did the personality change? Which oh, he, to me, the Heat Seeker was kind of a heel gimmick, if I'm not mistaken. Correct? Oh yeah, it was def- it was definitely a heel gimmick, and a lot of it was, you know, at the time I was like maybe a buck seventy, and uh, I feel you know nobody everyone was like, oh, you can't be a heel, blah blah blah. You're a good looking kid, you got the hair, blah blah blah. I don't have the hair. I'm not good looking anymore. Whatever. But, <laughs> you know, so they were like, you know, you're not going to be a good heel. But the whole thing was, um, I had had like an eight-month feud with JDT, and I the whole gimmick was I couldn't beat him, couldn't beat him, couldn't beat him. Finally beat him. And then later that night, Paul Diamond had actually beaten uh, Jeff McAllister, Psycho Sarge, for the Fusion title. Oh, wow. And okay. The whole, yeah. The whole thing was, um, after that, Psycho Sarge, McAllister was beating, you know, putting the boots to him because he was pissed that he lost, blah, blah, blah. And then I came out with a chair, make the save, big hero, blah, blah, blah. I turn around and lay the ever-living crap out of Paul Diamond with that chair. So much so that 30 minutes after that, because of course it was the main event, it was a title match, the crowd had not left. They actually had to announce that Paul Diamond was at a local hospital, he was A-OK, and, you know, please go home. Did you split him? <laughs> Oh, yeah. There wasn't a little animosity in there, was there? All right. I like a cantaloupe. Yeah, get some fucking juice in there, man. Shit. Oh, yeah. Was there a little animosity no, in there? Was that, was that, freaking, you know, was that was awesome? Was that an oops no, or was that, that a... Just had to do what it had to do. <laughs> just had to do, what had, had to do what had to be done. I need, you know, this is, this is my one shot to prove them wrong. And prove and them like wrong, said, you did. A half hour later, they knew. Yeah, you're trying to prove you're trying to prove to the boys there that you could bring the heat to be the heel, so you had exactly. to take that shot. Yeah, I get had, it. Uh, the yeah. name Heat Seeker was actually a huge inside joke. 
because, uh, like I said, me and uh, you know they were bringing legends like Les Thatcher to do training sessions, seminars. So me, me and Les always constantly had a love-hate relationship. All right. Some days he thought I was amazing. Some days, some days he couldn't stand me. Kind of funny how that constantly seems to work out. But whatever. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm um, going back to the bruised beefcake comment. So Les got the, in there and freaking. You know, asked all the guys, who was your favorite wrestler, blah, 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 who's your guy growing up? And everybody and their mothers giving all these general, generic, of course they are answers. Oh, I love Hulk Hogan. Oh, I love Shawn Michaels. Oh, I love Macho Man Randy Savage. I bust out Brutus Beefcake. <laughs> I'm and imagining like the whole entire training facility just stops. <laughs> yeah. It was what it was. I didn't care. It's truth. You know, I easily could have been like, oh, you know, Shawn Michaels, Eddie Guerrero. Who doesn't love Eddie Guerrero? Jesus, he's the greatest of all time, in my opinion. But, you know, this was, you know, who'd you like growing up? So, freaking, later on, um, we were taking, like, a restroom break, blah, blah, blah. So, I'm in the restroom. Les Thatcher comes in, he doesn't see me. And here he is, talking mess, being like, who the hell says Brutus Beefcake? <laughs> <laughs> he probably thought you were like bullshit and like like it was. Uh... And I'm just like, you got to be kidding me! Like, really? This upset you to that point? Well, again, he probably thought you weren't taking it seriously. For the record, nobody gives a crap about work rate when you're eight years old. <laughs> nobody cares about work rate when you're eight. I don't care. <laughs> Shoot, my my kid loves Orange Cassidy. I'm not even saying he's a bad wrestler, but it's a gimmick. <laughs> I, I ain't mad about it. He's five. He can like whoever he likes. So, um, like Darby Allen. <laughs> to ask you something a little bit more inside the rope here, this is something that I always bring up with any of the any of the workers or any of the boys uh, whenever I talk to them. You've got 18 years in, in between the ropes. Obviously, mm -hmm. you've probably spent a little bit of time on the shelf here and there. But you've also had some straps. You've had some tag team titles. And you've had some individual titles. Has there mm -hmm. ever been a time, obviously, you haven't gone through the, he's living his boyhood dream. Shawn Michaels is the WWE world champion. But has there ever been a time when someone has put the strap on you that has meant the most? Mm. Um, in all honesty, uh, I currently work for New Era Wrestling in Colorado. Hell yeah. And that's probably the when I won the heavyweight title there for the first time. That was probably the biggest, just because it was the first main title I'd held in Colorado. So okay. I'd been, I'd been, the, I'd, been the, I'd been a world champion in South Dakota, which didn't mean anything. You know, I freaking uh, I've been a champion in Texas a bunch of times, but that first one, like in Colorado, in front of like friends and whatnot, was. Probably the sweetest one, I'd say. Can I just correct one thing on that, though? I What's mean, that? you were you were uh, uh, a champion in Colorado. Well, tag team, but you were a tag team champion in Colorado. That didn't count. Well, that's what I meant, though. I meant the, the like the no. I said the main belt, though. Oh, you like, mean tag, as like, far as like solo focus of a champion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Like, no, yeah, I, I, dude, I love tag team wrestling. That's that's I'm doing that now. I'm still doing that now. Like I've got, I think me and my tag team partner. Cumberbatch, we have like three sets of tag belts right now. One in Wyoming, one in Colorado, and one in Texas. Nice. Because getting that, 
not getting the uh, bullshit world title in, in South Dakota or whatever, but getting the heavyweight strap in your hometown promotion there in Colorado. You've come and gone, come back, and now here you are. you are uh, reached a point in your life where you can actually wrestle as a heavyweight, get the heavyweight strap. And we all know what that means, that you know the promoters put the strap on you, and it's like, okay, son, you're going to sell some tickets for us. And mm -hmm. you're kind of the front runner for a minute. That's uh, that was in your, your your mind. That's that's the biggest achievement so far, or that's the best feeling for getting the belt. As far as the belt goes, that's probably the best. Um, you know, I'd uh, I'd had a shot with Ring of Honor in like 2010, and I actually we I actually did the initial when they used to do the the tryouts every three months or so. Right. I um I actually went to that uh, the very first one. Which is funny because okay. it turned out there was guys like uh, like they were you what, know was all that in Minneapolis? Was that one in Minneapolis or what? That was actually in Philadelphia. Philly, okay, okay, all right. But yeah, there was guys there. Um, like I think one of the heartthrobs was there from the old WWE tag team in like 2008. Really? And like, <laughs> yeah, he was the uh, Antonio Thomas was his name. Okay. And cool guy. Like I talked to him. We we were, we talked a little bit after everything went down. But like he was, a, he was the closest thing to like a name guy that was in the initial class. But afterwards, like I found out later, like um, Matt Taven was there, Mike Kanellis was there, um, Brutal Bob Evans was there, and they, they they were all guys that you know hadn't really done anything as of yet. Right, but they had worked on the main roster. Yeah, mm -hmm, a couple of them had. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they'd all you know they'd all go on to. You know, be substantially bigger stars. And I had uh, I had uh, met Adam Pierce there, and you know that was really super cool because you know, I like I've been always been a big fan of Adam Pierce's you know work that I've seen. But I had actually worked a uh, and he was a booker at the time, and he um, we had worked a show later on in Kansas for NWA Central States. And they were like, you know, they wanted me to do a spot with him, you know, take his pile driver or whatever. So I made a point to come up to him, and I was like, hey, you know, I know, you know, because he, he was the NWA World Champion at the time on top of being the booker for Ring of Honor. Okay. So I went to him, and I was like, hey, I know this is a big deal, blah, blah, blah. But I had taken a pile driver a million times. But I, I made a point to ask him, you know, hey, I know this is important to you, and it's important to me. How would you like me to take it, just to be on the safe side? And you know, I think he was impressed by that. That's showing the proper respect, man. That's a good way to do it. That's definitely a good way to to make it in. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, apparently it ended up working out in my favor, because afterwards he was because he had like he he remembered me from the tryout. Like we didn't really talk at the tryout itself, but he he knew who I was, and he told me if. Uh, he was like, if you can get to Philly, you know, I'll use you. It's not going to be like, you know, you're not going to be a star or anything. You'll be an underneath guy. But if you get up there, you know, spot's yours. And did you? So that was, you know. I did you ever I, pick him up on it? I should have, and I didn't. Before I could get up there, he'd actually lost the position to said Booker. Ah. Uh, yeah. Um, the, the whole Booker position, man, that's just such a – fleeting moment for so many people unless you're talking like the old old school days like mm -hmm. nowadays in modern wrestling history with all the agents working backstage and and everybody 
uh, doing the, you know development and all that other stuff like the, the Booker is uh, not nearly the prestigious. Well, it's still prestigious, but it just doesn't get held as long as it used to. Like if you're the Booker, yeah. you know, like that's a three to six month gig maybe. It used mm -hmm. to be, you know, like back in the day, like Dusty had the book in Mid Atlantic territory for like five years. And Flair yeah. had the book, and in, in, uh, whenever they switched over to WCW, he had the book there for the last couple years of NWA, the first couple years of WCW. Like guys held that for years. Whenever I whenever I went through school with Dutch, he had the book here in uh, you know in Memphis Wrestling. So oh, nice. he had okay. it for years, and mm -hmm. uh, it always swapped between him and Dundee and Lawler. But Dutch had it for quite a while. So yeah. and it's just not that way anymore. And then he had it in TNA for a bit, too, if I remember correctly. Yes, he did have it in TNA. And I think that that's where, in a lot of, especially if you're looking at the show, any of the big shows, and with some of the indies, mm -hmm. you know, these book, booker positions not being held for an extended period of time is why so many gimmicks don't really get the lifespan that they need to really get over the way that they did oh, yeah. because you have a new book coming in, and it's like reset the fucking deck. And everybody's back to square one, except for his handpicked favorite, who might have been mm -hmm. whenever he was coming in, or it might be someone that he's bringing in with him. And yeah. uh, it, it really changed the business the past twenty years. It really yeah. has. Well, you, oh, and it totally leaves the locker room up and up upheav and upheaval too, because like if the three of us, let's say we were bookers, and if we look, we have the exact same roster. No, no matter what, I'm gonna have my favorites, and each of you guys are gonna have each of your favorites. And it's not going to be the same show at, at, at some level. We may have the same top guy, maybe the same yeah. middle group. We're never going to have the same show twice. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And it's it's both a good thing and a bad thing. Cause it can it can fix problems, but it can also cause so many more. Well, another 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 issue with with Booker status that, that I've always battled with in in my twenty plus years in in the business. And uh, Tony Tony will remember this. I always had an issue with this. Is I never agreed with an uh, with an active worker being a Booker. Because the active worker is always going to push himself first, always, and and that's something I think kills the position in its own right too, <clears throat> because of uh, yeah, and because they're always out putting the straps on them, giving them the the uh, the main event status or the strongest uh, storyline status, and everybody else almost seems like a second thought to furthering their own career. Yeah, it's them and the buddies. Yeah, definitely, and, and this goes to the Hulk Hogan discussion we're going to have later, um, mm -hmm. uh, very much so. But you know, an active an active guy carrying the book nowadays is so much because there's just not enough talent to go around in each one of the promotions. Uh, everybody's looking for their shot to get to the show, whether that's AEW, Ring of Honor, or you know the biggest one with WWE. Um, mm -hmm. everyone's looking for the quickest path to put themselves over to get that big burst so that way they can put a highlight tape together and show the tape to, you know, the guys at ROH or AEW or back in the day, ECW. Like, if I can get my tape in front of Paul Lee Dangerously where I win the belt because my, my buddy's the booker and he put me over, like, that's the shortest path to get moved up to the next promotion. And it's not like it was back in the old territory days. No matter who the fuck you were, no matter who carried the book, you had to get stretched and you had to get worked and you had to go through your paces, no matter what. But now yeah. there's always like this shortcut mentality. No, I, I think it, I think it grounds more ego actually, though, because like, like I've def I've helped out a little bit with the book, and like the first thing I see like if I get a tape from a guy coming in is you know if it's a title match, 
it's almost like, oh. Or if they're wrestling a name, it's, oh. Yeah, it's so No matter what, it's, it's the other guy right? It's the other guy calling the match. Yeah, that's what everybody does. So you, whenever you see that, you're like, oh, fuck, here we go. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of seeing them take an L and having to put somebody else over and actually have to work some chains and some moves and, uh, you know, go down, they always want to show themselves getting over and picking up the strap. Well, everybody gets that chance if you spend enough time in. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody sees that. So show me how you put someone else over. Show me mm-hmm. how you work the crowd in their favor. That's what actually gets their fucking attention. Yeah. But people lose sight of that very quickly. That was one of my own downfalls it, it, in my career. Here, huh? That was one of my one of my own downfalls in my in my career. Is uh, I would do a uh, when I did a tape, I wouldn't I wouldn't do names. I wouldn't do winning the tag straps or the interregional strap, anything like that. I would do a couple. Mine mine would be a clip show, and a couple of them would be me on the offensive, just showing off like some of my uh, special, you know, like my finisher or whatever, so they knew what to expect as far as what I used offensively. But majority of it was me taking just out, outrageous or insane bumps for somebody else. Uh, like, for example, Tony remembers this, the uh, that neck breaker of fucking Shama Tangos that he liked to do, where he'd have me sitting on the top row. Oh, the Martinette. The Martinette, yeah. That fucking move. And, and not to pat myself on the back, but I always made it look like he fucking killed me. <laughs> so that always wound up in my highlight reel and I think that worked against me though because people looked at those videos and it's just like well, okay he can bump so he'll 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 do the job for this person this person this person this person this person like I don't think I always thought do you think that they maybe ended up looking at it like okay he, he's a good job is essentially what I thought with the tape I think you have to have yeah. a healthy balance you know right, I was getting ready to say that Good. Did did you end up putting yourself in, in the light where it looks like you're a high spot or a good bumper? Yeah. That that's exactly what I did. Is that I I showed too much of how how willing I am to put the the other guy over, and I think that hurt me in the long run. So every time I went to a new federation, they had the mentality of oh he's a good he's a good jobber. When I'm coming in saying well I I, I want story, you know I don't need to be the main event. Yeah. I don't need a strap, but I want a good story. And I would have to fight tooth and nail to get that that point because they weren't looking at me that way. And after the death of ECW coming in and taking those big badass bumps all the time, like that carried a little bit of a reputation uh, among some of the promoters too. That uh, maybe that kind of um, didn't elevate you where you needed to be, even though you're doing great work. You, you, you kind of look like maybe you were doing old ECW stuff, and, and a lot of guys frowned on that for like about ten years after ECW. He did die. And uh, if you're putting together highlight tapes back then trying to get them out, that probably didn't work in your favor either. Right. Well, the the, the big thing I got to ask, uh, Tony, because we, you know, we, we definitely got to get to our conversation of, of Hogan here very soon. Uh, I got mm-hmm. a couple more I want to slap towards your career here. Uh, All right. These, these are going to be a little bit more... Uh, a little more pinpoint, but uh, the first one I'm going to ask is like, give me, give me some of your favorite matches. Like, give me some of your favorite memories of matches. You've had an 18 year mm, um, career. You've had a lot of matches. You've worked in a bunch of different places, but there's got to be a handful that just really stick out in your mind. Is like, if you were putting together your own highlight video for like a, a say for sake of argument, like WWE creates those videos for like Hogan or 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 Bret Hart or whatever, and it's always a compilation of matches. What would be your compilation of matches? Hmm. 
funny thing is, most of my uh, most of my big matches were with guys that I felt were weren't that great. Because it kind of showed that I knew what I was doing as far as leading a match. You know, I wrestled a guy named Nate Briggs in Amarillo, and he was literally the promoter's son. Okay. And you know, of course, it was you know it was that same mentality we were just talking about. I got to put the, I got to put the promoter's son over for the belt. But I made it a point to be like we're gonna we're gonna have fun with this. <laughs> you know, we uh, I was the heel heel champion going in. I think I think we did I did every stupid cheap heel thing I could do. I got disqualified for kicking him in the dick. <laughs> I got counted out. I think I went under the ring at one point and like put a thing of ketchup on my forehead <laughs> and uh came out, Oh my god, he's bleeding and the uh the general manager at the time came out and totally ad libbed. She legitimately freaking put her finger into the ketchup, licked it and was like, This is ketchup. <laughs> nice nicely yeah. done i mean this guy this guy was this guy was not good um but we went i think we like i think we legitimately went about 20 25 minutes with it and in the end i put him over clean and that crowd lost their ever loving mind okay all right well that's um, one give me one. give me two more <laughs> i got another one same, same, same concept with actually wrestling broke back billy You'll remember. Yeah. I hope he might remember. But as you know, Billy was Billy was a gimmick. He was not he was never a wrestler. Like it just you know, it was what it was. Right. And he would and he would tell you that. But I, and he and he did. He told me that. He was like, you know, he uh, you know, he was just randomly going off about, you know, and they wanted he was retiring. And they wanted to put the they wanted to give him a good farewell, so they put him in there with me. And I told him, because I was, you know, Mr. Big Bad Heel, blah, blah, blah. Just, you know, mean, going to punch you in the face. And we had, like, beaten up his manager, and we had beaten up his friends. And it was just him. And we were going to, it was for, again, it was for the, actually for the New Era title this time. It all championship matches, I guess, because I'm selfish. I don't know. But, yeah. <laughs> but, um, so we get in there, we're working on stuff. And he's like, I can't do that. I was like, I know. That's why we're here. Like, I think one of the things like he'd never done like a power slam, never once. And like, I think he'd wrestled for ten years. Are you shitting me? Yeah. Wow. It, wow. It, he was he was a gimmick. He was a gimmick. He had the gimmick, so they put him in shows, which is probably one of my biggest pet peeves from anybody who's ever called ever had the audacity to call themselves a trainer. Is as soon as you find a gimmick, you put a guy in a show. It's garbage. That that's. <laughs> Huge reason that wrestling's, you know, independent wrestling is laughed at at times. But I digress. Oh, uh, now you're picking on the poop so buster. Let me... <laughs> yeah. All, 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 just saying, all everybody, people do it all the time. You know, if you if you can't if you can't hack it to this wrestling training center, you go to this wrestling training center and you just keep downgrading until somebody's willing to put you on a show. It still happens. Yep, it does. It, it, it definitely does. And I'm not, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but some of them have made a career out of it so much so that they've actually gotten the, uh, to the next levels through their BS. And um, again, yeah, I'm, they got the because of their gimmick. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, there, there's uh, a, there's a huge difference between a guy like Orange Cassidy, who's, you know, is a, he can wrestle. He can go out there and have a great match, but the gimmick's what's over. It is what it is, you know. Whether whether you like it or you don't, it's 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 what got him to the dance. Because well, him look, being just you know 
golly Joe Joe wrestler isn't going to get him isn't going to get him signed. It's just not. And look, if you, there are a million great wrestlers. And look, if you're not looking to get to the to the next level to the to the E or or uh, Impact or or AWE, there's nothing wrong with being more of a gimmick wrestler than than an in ring tactician. I mean, I'm not gonna. I don't mean to throw somebody under the bus here, but one of the first people like that always come to my mind when I think of somebody who who had mediocre in ring ability, but the gimmick was phenomenal. Was like you know the Canadian Love Machine. That gimmick mm-hmm. was loved. I mean, oh, definitely. And that was enough. Yeah, it was never a gimmick that would ever get get you to the E, because you, you, there was no in ring ability. But the gimmick was loved, and of course, oh, Tony, yeah. and, and of course, Tony and I had a handle like in that. naming his finishers. <laughs> oh yeah, it was the handle. The, I got the, the reference. <laughs> the love, the love handle, and the fucking uh, the one night stand. The love handle, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> So let me, I mean, Santino, uh, Santino Morello was another one. He was a phenomenal wrestler, but the gimmicks got over. Right. Yeah, the gimmick is what got him to the dance for sure. Yeah. Let, let me ask you uh, one thing here with those being your most memorable matches. Um, in everybody's career, no matter how short or long it is, who is it that wrestled you the most snug? Who gave you the most, the hardest bumps, the biggest taters? Who really laid into you? Was it when you were coming up? When he crossed over to another territory, who gave you the hardest time? I'm oh. sorry in advance. No, <laughs> <laughs> nah, actually, it wasn't you. Freaking, um, see, Kincaid's always been a snug one. Um, probably actually uh, a Dak Draper from Ring of Honor. Draper, really? Had okay. a, yeah, I had he a has no reputation. No, he's a great dude. Freaking love the guy. Freaking, we had a we had a singles match one time, and we. I, I don't know why, because he's legitimately a foot taller than me. But we did the whole thing. We're freaking, we did the double down. Cool. We get up, hit each other, blah, blah, blah. I have never been slapped that hard in my life. <laughs> okay. I, I have never almost lost consciousness in one of those things before. And freaking, oh. We, we he's got it. that reputation with a lot of people. He wrestles very snug. And yeah, he's very cool. And uh, he's, he's very good. Freaking good. Very good at what he does. I've seen him. I, I, I knew him back when he freaking, you know, he was another guy. He was had a million dollar look, and they just put him in matches. Right. And freaking, you know, to his credit, he got better, got substantially better. He's was great. he calling the match, or were you? Oh no, hell no. <laughs> you know, he was he I, he 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 was smart enough to listen. Like Good he dude. he can't. The thing about him is he he you know he was one of those guys that you know it's not as prevalent as it was, but he was a he was an amateur wrestler. And he got seen at, at, you know, I think Gerald Briscoe, if I remember correctly, saw him in an amateur match and was like, here's your contract, go get trained. <laughs> so he went to Colorado and he found the first guy that would train him. And he was he was one of those guys, the first guy that trained him was, oh, well, I'll take your money, no big deal, blah, blah, blah. Teach you, teach you just enough to get you on shows. And, I mean, WWE is going to freaking teach him how to properly do things when he gets down to developmental anyway. So what, you know... What's the big deal on, you know, thought process, I guess. But, I mean, you know, he knew what he was doing. He was smart enough to listen. And, you know, look where he's at now. All right, well, the, the, the big thing, the big, the final question I have, well, I've got two things left to, to, to bring towards you. Uh, one, the, the final question okay. is, what is in the future for the uh, ha- the homicidal half-breed? Like, what, what do you have looking forward from this day? 
for the character? How much how much farther are you looking to go? Uh, you know, right now, like I said, we're doing we're doing the tag team thing right now, me and Cumberbatch with Vanity Incorporated. Um, we're looking to go as far as we can with it. We like to do like to do more out of state stuff, you know, like to do some stuff with you know, Impact comes to Vegas every couple of months. If we could you know get on there a little bit, that'd be phenomenal. Um, we actually worked the Chris Brothers uh, OVE last year, and that was a good little match. All right. So, um, you know, that would be cool. You know, AEW just recently came to town. You know, they're looking for a little bit extra help. We definitely love to do that. And then, of course, if anybody's listening uh, that may be a promoter or whatever, or even a fan that wants to get a hold of you, where could they find you? Like, what, what are the best ways to get in contact with uh, Mr. Tony Morales? Um, so you can do on my, uh, definitely on freaking Twitter at Morales Mafia. And you can always find me on freaking Facebook, just under Tony Morales. All right, cool. The reason I was bringing that up is so that way we can move into the next section of the show, which hopefully you'll be joining us for, especially because, uh, I'm not going to lie. I've got to pee. So after I introduce this, I'm going to step away and let you guys talk for a minute. <laughs> cool, cool. But, uh, we, uh. Mr. Mr. Michaels is going to introduce what we are going to be discussing next. And like I said, you are more than welcome to stay in and have this conversation. I'm sure you've got plenty to say on the man because uh, basically he is the brother to your favorite wrestler of all time. So, <laughs> Or should I say brother? Ah, oh, you had to go there. Huh? I, I went there. Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> yeah, so uh, what we wanted to talk about next here is Hulk Hogan uh, during – whether it's the AWA days, the WWF days, the WCW days, back to WWE, um, how good or not good was he for wrestling, considering all of the backstage politics, the way he came up in the business. And I've got a few different takes on this, um, just knowing from the very beginning of how his career started. Mm -hmm. I saw him wrestle twice as Terry Bodea before he oh, took wow. on the Hogan gimmick. And so whenever he was wrestling in the old AWA out of Minneapolis, he was still Terry Bodea. And uh, um, you got to consider behind the scenes at this point in time is Mean Gene Okerlund, Larry Zbysko, and Eric Bischoff, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. These are the four main agents at the time that are going on at that, at that time. Whenever Hogan left AWA in 82, Eric Bischoff was a, an executive producer at that point in time. So all oh, four, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So all four of them were very integral in like turning the volume up on Terry Bodea because before then he was in rock bands. He played the bass guitar, this big menacing bodybuilder guy, and they're like, man, if we just really found a way to fucking turn up your, your personality, we've got something. And he's like, well, let me tell you something, brother. And Bobby, the brain, he didn't said, stop, fucking say that again. And that's where the let me tell you something, brother, fucking shit comes from. Is from Bobby the Brain Heenan working off of Gene Okerlund during those old AWA interviews. You can still find them on YouTube and whatnot. So whenever it, whenever that starts happening and Vince sees where Hogan is actually about to become, he steals him from AWA, which at that time, <laughs> AWA was about ready to go bankrupt. So, hi. Hey, buddy. I'm sorry, man. Give me just a second. Oh, that's cool. Come here. Kind of stay with mom, buddy. 
So, so Vince, I wanted to grab my charger. Go ahead, bro. So Vince steals Hulk Hogan from the AWA because at this time Vern Gagne is going bankrupt. So mm -hmm. he takes the chance to steal his biggest star. He brings him in, puts him over on the Iron Sheik whenever Bob Backlund's on the fucking shelf, and then Hulkamania is born. Now, he has been developed a great deal. His character's really been put over to a large extent for about four or five years. He never really got tested in the AWA, and at the beginning, whenever he came in the WWE, or WWF at the time, he got the match with the Iron Sheik, took the strap in 12 seconds, and boom, we're off and running. Well, in the meantime, he's had enough time to develop some real good hooks in some people. He's got Zabisco in his ear. He's got Okerlund. He's got Bobby the Brain Heenan. Later on comes Eric Bischoff. But by the time the end of the WWF run has happened, he has so much about politics and so much about booking that he is an impossible monster to control. That's what I think of the original WWF run. The, uh, I'll let you guys take it from there. The WCW, I think we see a totally different side of Hogan. Everybody thinks he's a monster, and it wasn't him. Uh, it was Kevin. But um, I think during the original WWF days, uh, there, was a, there was a lot of like innocent charm that actually happened that allowed the Hulkamania thing to run wild the way that it did. Vince really capitalized on a really good idea, put him up against Sergeant Slaughter turning heel, the Iron Sheik, all of that shit. And um, they really captured on, on a really good thing. And then he became a power broker, and that's when he changed a little bit. And that goes into like 91, 92, uh, going to WCW. What do you think, Chris? Uh, well, now that I come back, I, I missed half of what you said because, like I said, I had to take a leak. I saw my mic and took off the headset. Oh, okay. Um, well, let, let Tony take it then. Right, yeah, let Tony go first so that way I can catch up with what's being said. Because, I mean, my, my view of Hogan is, is really simple, is that I give credit where credit is due. Pro wrestling would not be in the mainstream as it is if it wasn't for his gimmick. Uh, but I think he's one of those people that we were talking about earlier that, that uh, Tony was talking about where the gimmick preceded the in-ring ability. And uh, I don't think he's really contributed that much in the way of technicality to the sport. And I think the sport would have still existed and maybe even reached the heights that it reached without him. However, I've got to give the devil his due on that aspect. But we'll, we'll well, dig deeper. I will, I will say before Tony answers on, on my part there is, do you know who actually broke him in? I don't. Hiro Matsuda. Yes, Iro Matsuda, who broke his fucking leg during training to see if he would come back. And Hogan came back eight weeks, eight, eight weeks later, takes off the air cast, gets back in the fucking ring, and says, we ain't finished. He, has, he had all, all the fucking heart you could fucking ever have. He was going to be a worker no matter what. So I give him that. All right, Tony. <laughs> all right. Um, you know, really, I, you know, I, I don't I don't I think Hogan was the right place at the right time, and I definitely think like y you you need a star, and Hogan Hogan was that in spades, you know. Whereas you know we definitely talked about, like I said about how you know work rate over gimmick sometimes, Hogan was definitely that. He I can't say I've heard, I've always heard stuff about his Japan work where he was apparently incredible or at least substantially different than the Hulk Hogan that we saw in WWE. What was, what was he in? been doing in, that for decades, though. What the, what the hell was he in Japan? He was a uh, Wild Pegasus or something? I think it was. No, well, Wild Pegasus was Chris Benoit. That oh, was right. Chris Benoit. 
he came over there as Hogan, but because yeah. the crowd dictates that you wrestle a different style, you saw a different style Hogan. He wrestled as Hulk Hogan. Okay. Yeah. You just saw a totally different different worker because Japan dictates that. You cannot be the gimmick guy in Japan and get over. Yeah. But no, I, de- I definitely think that you need like you, you you need a star. That's why you know, WWE as a whole, the ratings are down and everything. They don't have that guy right now. As much as they want, you know, they want people, they want Roman Reigns to be that guy, you know, the crowd is dictating that he's not. And they have not either they either they don't want to find somebody else to be that guy, or they just haven't found him yet. You know, Hogan was that guy. You know, in the in you know Attitude Era, they had two guys with Stone Cold and The Rock, and then Triple H was able to maintain that afterwards. You know, and that was that that was kind of the big thing about it is you need you need a star, and at that time, Hogan was that guy. Saying you know he was the Ric Flair of the NWA, just in a totally he was he was the main guy. Only Ric Flair was, you know, the workhorse guy, and Hogan was, you know, the cinema guy. But I think, I think, yeah, that... and Ric Flair was left for Broadway, and and you never would see Hogan do that. That's the difference between the two. But mm-hmm. Hogan was like bigger than life whenever he first hit the hit the scene. Oh yeah, and that was the thing. You know, Hogan Hogan was that that superstar that was able to, you know, rub shoulders with Hollywood elite and hang out with Cindy Lauper and tag team with Mr. T. And do all that stuff, and that that was that was what Hogan was, you know, you know, t- he was almost like Goldberg esque at that time, you know. Goldberg was never a yeah. good worker, but Goldberg had that that aura around him that oh my Bischoff, god, this guy's gonna, you know, he's the star. Whenever he hung the uh, the gimmick on Goldberg, he actually kind of harkened back to the early days of Hulkamania. He's like, we're gonna make another Hogan. That's what he did with Goldberg. That was yeah. the whole intention when they brought him in and put him on the streak. Although at the same time, they kind of uh, were were, were uh, shooting on Steve Austin. If you ever listen to Steve's uh, description of his leaving of WCW, he wanted to go into that that gimmick, the the basically what's classically known as the Stone Cold gimmick, the the bald head, the the black trunks, you know, the attitude. And and yeah. Bischoff passed said, "No, it'll never work." But yeah. then he. Put Goldberg with a shaved head, black trunks, attitude, and you know. <laughs> true, true. But the, by that point, he'd actually already seen it work with Stone Cold, though, because right. right. yeah, Stone so Cold might not have been the main event that. monster that he was, but he was definitely on the up by that point. But I mean, that that it does the harken back to Hogan here. That 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 does come into the question of why I wanted to have this conversation. Is that there's no denying that Hogan had the appeal. He had the fans wanting him there and he you know uh he was he was definitely the guy as far as being the poster child for professional wrestling but is it fair and proper that he was the catalyst to catapult professional wrestling into the mainstream that it has been since him and and continues to be today is it fair that it was him when there were so many others who were if not as popular, definitely way more talented. People like Dusty Rhodes. People like Ric Flair. People like, hell, even within the WWE. I mean, you can make arguments all day long that, you know, people like the Texas Tornado or, or, or Macho Man Randy Savage might have been more deserving of that spot. That's and, true, but, it, it, but in business, does that matter? Right. I mean, it, I, at, I, at the bottom line, it's, who make, it's who's going to make you the most money, and they happen to pick Hogan. I so, think I, mean, whenever, I heard that whenever, super, if I remember correctly, Superfly Jimmy Snuka was oh, huge yeah. at that time. 
Like he'd had the match with uh, cause he, cause most of those guys you'd said weren't in WWE at that time. Like like guys like Schnooka though. Um, I don't know if it's the same time or not, but maybe right after. But uh, Big Boss Man was stupid over. Uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan stupid over. Yep. Like those baby faces were like amazing. You know, Ray Trailer. I don't know Boss Man. I don't think he ever gets the respect he's due. You know, Hacksaw. Hacksaw wasn't. You know, I love Hacksaw, but he was. He was never a tactician, but he was a hell of a brawler. Superfly was, you know, free, Superfly was another guy that had that that amazing aura. But he like, was in his own stratosphere when he was in his prime. Yeah. He was one of a kind. But whenever Hogan does the leap to WCW and we leave Hulkamania behind, and then you've got the NWO coming in, now you're dealing with a whole bunch of power brokers that that deal back that go back to the old AWA days. You got Larry Zabisco, Bischoff. Bobby the Brain Heenan, Gene Okerlund, and then here comes Kevin and um, um, Scott uh, Hall. Scott Hall, uh, who a lot of people forget was the AWA world champion when they went bankrupt. So you're dealing with a whole bunch of old AWA guys that all was get he together. The last and champion? Yes, he was for four years. I did not, he was I did, I did not remember the AWA that. champion. Yeah, nice. and. Uh, uh, he had a totally different look. That's why nobody remembers. Um, anyways, I remember Scott Hall being there and being World Tag Team Champions with Henning, but I didn't remember that he was... The yeah, whenever Henning left, he took the strap uh, uh, in, uh, before, right after Martell. He had the oh, strap okay. after Martell. Um, so the last three years when the AWA was basically nothing, like a, basically almost an independent, uh, uh, basically after NWA and WWF. But anyways, so you've got all these old AWA guys who come together and they steal the idea from New Japan Wrestling to do the New mm -hmm. World Order. That's an old N, that's an old NW, NJPW gimmick. Mm -hmm. They steal that idea, and you got Kevin and Scott Hall who are calling the shots because they have these guaranteed contracts, these guaranteed no-work contracts that nobody else had. They're like, we're just going to do these fucking gimmicks all day long and get over. That's whenever the power actually, like Hulk Hogan wasn't the power broker then. It was Kevin and Scott Hall. Okay. Yeah, but at the time in WCW, WCW had a bad reputation uh, during the Monday Night Wars, which, I mean, it worked in their favors because they were winning the Monday Night Wars. But like you were saying that the power brokers were old and AWA guys, the top roster of WCW was old WWF guys. Like their mm -hmm. their their talent pool was the mid-carders and the, uh, the, the show openers. But they put everything mm -hmm. on... Hogan on Macho Man on, you know, outside of people like Luger and, and Sting, everybody was old WWF stars being the main eventers, the the ones that had yeah, the major besides, stories. Besides Sting, who uh, never got his due during all of that, and Lex Luger, who was incredibly overrated, and um, um, uh, fuck, uh, and Flair, of course. Being the old original yeah. NWA guys, like it was a whole roster of WWF guys. You're right, and the and the combination of some of the AWA guys. So you had three NWA guys stuck in the middle, with the bookers and the agents being old AWA and WWF guys. Like fucking, no wonder Lex left and came back the way he did, and no no wonder Sting fucking disappeared for a while. Like it was just a shit show for them. Yeah, <laughs> I think of the last last part of the years probably with. Uh... As far as making stars, they made like three guys in the last five years at WCW. Goldberg, Booker T, um, and DDP. Do you guys remember Booker T as G.I. Bro? 
Yes, yes, I remember G.I. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember Colin oh, Kane, the original Harlem Heat. Who's that? I remember Colin Kane. Colin Kane. Yeah, the original yeah, Harlem that, Heat. That's what their names were. The name that's uh, Back when they were with, uh, Yeah, with uh, Robert Parker, if I remember correctly. Good old Colonel. Yep, Robert Parker. Uh, he used to be called Colonel Robert Par- Parker in his Memphis yep. days. Um, mm. but, uh, so, yeah, uh, and them putting Booker over the way that they did as the, uh, you know, de facto brother group with, uh, with his dude there. Um, Stevie Ray. That was, uh, yeah, you know, and, and both of them were great fucking workers in the ring. They were both actual tacticians, even though they were high-flower power guys or high-flying mm. power guys. They were both able to really put on some fucking moves. And you're right, like, as far as a true created superstar, because Goldberg's a gimmick. Yeah. That that ended up being a good hand in the ring much, much fucking later. He was never a good hand during the streak. It wasn't until he lost that he started actually working good matches. But uh, Booker is like their truest creation of the last, you're right, the last five or six years. Oh, yeah. Even though he had been around for ten years before that. He goes all the way back to Texas wrestling. Yeah, he was at uh, GFW or GWF. Well, yeah. Wrestling. After, after he got out of the joint in Houston was in WCCW. Mm-hmm. With Kerry Von Erich and Stone Cold back in those days, uh, he was GI Bro, and he was actually an up and comer back then. Mm-hmm. Well, again, that goes back to what I was saying. Like during the day, during the days of the Monday Night War, I mean, if you ever want proof that WCW was drowning their own talent, people they could have built their companies on. Look at the people who went over to the E and made major careers out of themselves. I know it's taboo to mention the name, but Chris Benoit, Dave Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, uh, Rey Mysterio. Uh, Juventud Guerrera, all of them were stars in other countries. In WCW, they were mid-card at best. They Nobody cared. You know, mm-hmm. Chris Jericho, you bring them over to the WWE and you unleash them and you see the potential and the, and the talent and the drawability that they had, which again goes back to what we were talking about with Hogan. Hogan would be the right or not the right guy. It almost seems like in that aspect, like using WCW as an example, people like Hulk Hogan were stifling the next generation talent. Oh, they definitely were, but I think if you're going to, like, if you want to actually talk about Hogan in particular stifling guys, you would look at TNA. Like, TNA, yeah, he, that's when he, he was slaughtered that joint. Yeah. Like, that That was, that was if, if you want to, because I, I can see the point that Chris is making with Hall, and, Hall Nash and Hogan together, and Hall and Nash being the particular guys, because, I mean, you know, Kevin Nash is the guy that ended the streak, and he did it in the stupidest way possible. But like, if you're gonna look at Hogan as him and you know him himself, and then obviously Eric Bischoff, freaking going out of their way to you know kill off a Fed and bring their buddies in and get their buddies a payday, you know TNA's that freaking TNA's. I mean, if you want to, if you want to look at like how legitimately the power structure was set up, Kevin was carrying the book at the time that they did the finger tap that killed WCW. Mm-hmm. He booked that. And Hogan went with it whenever he did the finger tap and Hogan lay down and blah, blah, blah. We got the belt. That was that was a Kevin move. So that yeah. kind of tells you a little bit, even though Hogan was definitely keeping the younger talent down, which in anybody's circumstance, look at NFL quarterbacks. Did Brett Favre want Aaron Rodgers to fucking come in? Fuck no, he didn't. Same thing with these guys, you know. But um, was it good for the business? It definitely wasn't. But I think during the fall of WCW and then him coming back to the E, it was a totally different animal. Like, he didn't get to have that stroke other than on TNA. 
he didn't really get to exercise as much power as everybody like points the finger at him. I don't think. I, re I really don't. But the thing is, is somebody with a gimmick like Hulk Hogan, I mean, just because he doesn't have the book or the or the uh, you know uh, the ear of the promoter, the gimmick itself kind of demands the power anyway. Because, like you said, you put Hulk Hogan in front of a crowd, people are going to respond. He's going to draw. He's going to sell tickets. He's going to put butts in seats. He's going to sell merchandise. That's money to the company. Oh, yeah, it's always a pop whenever he comes on. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So even if he's just a guy who comes to the locker room with his gear, puts it on, comes out to the ring, does his business, and leaves, he's still got influence and power just because he's Hulk fucking Hogan. Yeah, so you're here's, definitely, here's you're definitely right. Question. Here's an interesting question, or, or to get your, everybody's honest opinion on. What do you think about the Hulk Hogan sex tape? I think I don't ever want to see that shit again. I don't think there's enough bleach in the world to ever clean my eyes out. <laughs> Beyond I think that, a razzie. Do, you think, do you think it's a work for her? That's I, my question. I don't. I think I don't care. Oh, dude, I could. I could. Yeah, I don't care. I could totally see it. I'm. You know, I'm. I'm, I'm not gonna say I'm a skeptic, but I'm always. I, I always think a lot of that stuff could be like, eh, maybe. You know maybe what? I, there's aliens. Maybe there's, I think you know, maybe there's total work, to be honest with you. I mean, obviously, he's bagging her or, or whatever, but she's definitely with him because that's Hulk Hogan and Hulk Hogan money. And he's like, well, let's just put a big pop on your social media thing because she's a bikini model and she's on Instagram. And so now all of, her, all of a sudden her account has like 800,000 followers and she's getting yeah. paid. Yeah, but here here's the thing. Like everybody's got a fucking sex tape nowadays. It's not like it's not like back in the day where where it was so you know. Oh my God, somebody's uh, somebody's little home video got released. Like fucking you know, uh, Paris Hilton. No, Paris Hilton. Yeah. Paris Tommy Hilton Lee was, and Pamela Anderson. Yeah, Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson. That was that was yeah, like, that, that, was, that, that was the thing. That was the first one of like, oh my God, that got leaked. You know, but everybody's got a sex tape. Shit, you can go on Pornhub and find shit with half the fucking roster of the WWE, both men and women. You know, <laughs> fucking. Uh, that's why. Is that's why with Hogan, the only reason is it's a big deal is because it's Hogan. Old, you know, is again, it a bad attempt of an old man to make himself relevant again. Probably, yeah. I could see it. Probably, Hogan doesn't do anything that doesn't benefit Hogan. Yeah, yeah. And it's, that's it's the, the same thing with WWE. Freaking like on there, you know. WWE doesn't let you know any doesn't let you know anything that they don't want you to know. Mm -hmm. Like without oh this guy wants his release. Oh this guy's unhappy with the company. They want you to know that. Yeah, they, so that they want you to feel that way. Better. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and they wouldn't be out there otherwise. It's like the whole Ronda Rousey thing right now. Ronda Rousey said f the fans. Blah blah blah. Okay, cool. WWE wouldn't talk about it if they didn't want you to know about it. They wouldn't have right. Nia Jax responding to it if they didn't want you to know about it. Which one of the 138 stars backstage hasn't ever said, fuck the fucking fans? Yeah. Give it a break. Not wrong. I mean, hell, even in the independent circuits, you have your off days. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you can catch anybody in an interview at the wrong moment, and they're going to be like, fuck that guy. He's a piece of shit. Mm. You know? <sighs> but That's I, really all Ronda did. Yeah. I and think it's it what it is. I think if Hogan really wanted to still be relevant and helpful to this business, I think Hogan would need to step away from the mainstream and down back down into the independent circuits to help develop and bring attention to the new up-and-coming talents. That's hmm. the do, truth. Do, do you think if, if he were to play the role of the mentor and drop the Immortal Act, 
come out just in without the bandana, without the glasses, play humble, and put somebody else over. No, he would never do that. He would never do that. You don't think he's capable or he ever would? Neither. Neither. I don't think it would would help anything, obviously. I don't think it would help anything. However... I I think Hogan, Hogan is what he is. Yeah, that. However, you you get them you get them to uh, what what's the federation you're at now, Tony? A uh, new new era, new era wrestling. Yeah, you get you get him booked on a new era show. Have him go up against uh, the the homicidal half breed Tony Morales. Even if Tony's doing the job, Tony's working fucking Hulk Hogan, and Hulk Hogan's appearing in Colorado at an indie show. That is butts well, in the I seats, think, and that is attention to Tony's career. Oh, it, it's ridiculous! It's ridiculous butts in the seats. It's like it's like how uh, Ultimate Warrior wrestled uh, Orlando Jordan in Spain one time, and people still, for better or worse, talk about it. Uh, you know, it it's, the, it's, in the last five years, it may not be as relevant, but uh, someone who is like currently doing that, being the old legend, who's putting butts in the seats, and and in some cases putting people over, and in other cases, you know, he's going over while. Uh, you know, making the huge draw and bringing some attention to an independent uh, organization. Why doesn't anybody give any love to Jerry Lawler for that? He's been doing it for twenty years. I always give love to he Lawler. He has been doing it for twenty years. That's valid. My brother-in-law actually worked him a couple years ago in uh, old school wrestling down in Texas. I wrestled. I I, I did. Um, I did one card with his son. Okay. And uh, back in the day, whenever I was coming up, I was real good friends with. Um, Eric Acker, whose uh, family owned the Evansville Coliseum. And uh, oh, okay. from the age of eight years old till all the way through high school, I got to be backstage with the boys all the time. And that's how I actually – I did. it's not like I fucking know Jerry or anything fucking crazy, but, I mean, he recognized my face back then. He knew who the fuck I was. Nice. Um, but um, the fact that he had – Jerry always puts everybody over. Listen to any interview he does. He does something that Hulk Hogan's never been capable of. He's always putting everyone over, no matter what. Even if it's someone he viciously hated, like him and Austin Idol, never got along. They never worked well together. They always every match they had fucking broke out. But uh, if you hear him in an interview now, he puts Austin over like he's the fucking, like he's the Rock. Um, you know, I mean, and Jerry just doesn't get a whole lot of credit for that, other than like guys in the business. But from fans, I mean, you don't hear about it a whole lot. That's because nice. nobody cared for the uh, over-the-shoulder fucking, you know, Andre the Giant tights with the King gimmick. But oh, as fan base is concerned. I popped for it, so I popped for it. Right, but I'm talking, I'm talking, talking, talking from the fan standpoint. From a worker standpoint, of course, everybody knows what Lawler does for this business. There's ain't Anybody who yeah. respect to Jerry Lawler ain't been fucking paying attention as far as inside the business. Is exactly. He just doesn't get the press. That's, I guess, that's my question. Like, why doesn't he get the press for that? Because uh, yeah, point in there real quick. If I if I could just slide in, another yeah, Jerry, another Jerry that does not get the credit he's due. Jerry, Jerry Lynn. Jerry Lynn. Oh, yeah, yeah Jerry, Jerry Lynn, Lynn awesome. dude. I've 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 worked him maybe a half dozen times over the years. And that guy is incredible. Just totally. I think he's working with AEW now as a producer, I believe. But he's just like you know, just a great guy. Always willing to help out anybody, and like he would just go out there. I'm not. I don't think I ever actually beat him, but he you know always willing to do business with anybody and everybody and freaking just overall. I mean, he he come out there as like the Ring of Honor champion and put you over if he felt it made sense. From uh, from all 
the stuff that I hear, um, it seems like, because Dutch used to be the same way as well, he'd pull you to the side, hey kid, let me tell you what you're doing here, or why we do this, or why you don't need to do that, or why that's an extra move you don't need to show until like your main event or whatever. It, is he that, whenever you worked with him, is he that guy that, you know, the hey kid? Yeah, he, he was totally like, you know, he, he would, he would, you know, he would always, he was always nice about it, but he would always, he was always brutal, he would tell you what it was. You know, this is great, this could be worked on, don't do this, do that, you know, you can always, always take time out to help you out if you were willing to ask. Dutch never got the re recognition for that because he was not only a great booker but also a great agent, and uh, and he wrote some incredible storylines, or uh, you know booked them at least. Um, and uh, you know Michael P.S. Hayes is another one, but he, he gets all kinds of fucking press. But Dutch is kind of in the same light as Michael P.S. Hayes the past thirty years in the WWE. He's developed a lot of fucking talent and booked a lot of shit. Nice. I didn't. I, I didn't know that personally. So that's very interesting to know. Yeah, Butch, uh, Dutch is. I mean, he's uh, he's one of the old mainstays from the old territory days that were, you know, mm -hmm. along with four days that people still listen to, or did. Yeah. I'm sorry, you know, but. Um. <clears throat> well, again, we're, we're we're going back right back into it, bring, bringing us back around to to Hogan. You're we're all mentioning, you know, older, older wrestlers with the exception of Jerry Lynn. I mean, he is older as, as in like last generation. But, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily put him in the same class as like Hogan or. or oh, no. You know, no, but no, no, definitely yeah. not. He's but, the in between generation of it. But, you know, right. not that not that guy. Right. But again, we're, we're seeing a major difference in mentality of people who not only have the gimmick, or the in-ring ability, because you you know the first anytime anybody mentions like Jerry Lynn, for example, the first thing that pops in my head is Jerry Lynn RVD. Any of mm -hmm. them, any of the matches yeah. of Jerry Lynn RVD are fucking just they're 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 it's fucking shows. Yeah, yeah. They're, 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 you you don't need to put anything else on the card. Just have that match, and that's worth price of admission. You know the mm -hmm. guy can work, but they have the humble mentality and wanting to further the business, not just their career. And then you have somebody like Hulk Hogan. Well, yeah, he's a headline gra grabber and a big ego, and there's a huge difference between that, the first group of guys and and him. You know, he was brought in. He had a lot of air blown up his ass at the beginning. He, he got put into that position, and he believed his own press, and he's never stopped. Whereas the other guys, they, you know, I mean, they came up the hard way, and Hogan got pushed into the spotlight as soon as he found the persona which was brought on by, you know, Bobby Heenan and Gene Okerlund. Once he found that, hey, hey, brother, then it was off to the races, and it never fucking stopped. Whereas, you know, RVD, he came up the hard way. He had several different names and several different gimmicks before he was RVD. Right. No, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. But I, I'm just meaning, like, I don't mean, I don't mean, uh, I don't, I don't mean longevity or even, even, uh, uh, uh what's the word I'm looking for here? Um caliber or status within the business of Hulk yeah. Hogan, but just the mentality difference. Yeah, totally different mentality. You're right. You're you're totally right. Yeah. I think That's Hogan, whenever he got brought in with Vince McMahon, he was definitely given, he was given the bag and given given the ride, and, and he was told, you know, make it work. And it just, he never veered away from it. He never appreciated the shot he was given and never turned around and gave it to anybody else. So I guess that the long and short of it is, is 
you know, he's been the favor. I mean, the last run of the WWE when he came back and he was still kind of mixing the immortal Hulk Hogan with uh, with Hollywood Hogan. <coughs> thinking of that run in the that late well? in the early two thousands, like when he was when he was feuding people like The Rock and he was feuding people yeah. like uh, like Shawn Michaels, and he was actually <coughs> putting them over. That almost felt like a different Hogan. That and that was almost, a different Hogan. You're almost. correct. Yeah, it, it, he was playing a different part. It wasn't a different Hogan, but he was playing a different Hogan. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah, gift. he was definitely the aged veteran at that time. Yeah. You know, like he, if he wanted to have his time in the spotlight, he had to give it. He had to put people over if he wanted to have that WrestleMania center stage moment. It was too taken out. He had to put someone over, just like Ric Flair did with Shawn Michaels. Right. Well, but with Michaels, with Michaels and Flair, if then it could be a work, and I may be wrong. But wasn't wasn't Michaels Flair's choice for his retirement? Oh, yeah, yeah. Flair chose him. That was he actually chose him two years in advance of that match. Yeah, I thought I thought I read that. I yeah, wasn't yeah, sure. He chose him a long time before then. He said, "There's nobody else who could carry." Rick Flair's jockstrap in his prime and Shawn Michaels, so he has to be the close. Somebody's practicing their wrestling moves. Something, yeah. Craziness. That's a question I never got to you. Uh, obviously, when I knew you in my career and in our careers, respective careers and all, you were a single guy who was all about the wrestling industry, the, the business. You know, mm-hmm. um, the only thing that stopped you from shows or whatever is if you worked a double shift at your job, you know, because yeah. nine to fives take precedent. Now you're married with kids, man. How's that yeah. working out with you on your career? Is like you still find the same devotion or dedication or has it changed your press, uh, your, your perspective? It's, it's definitely things? changed things. It's yeah, it's definitely changed things. Like my family's the most important thing to me, hands down. Me and my wife are married about a year and a half, maybe a little bit more. We had a five-year-old son together. So I mean, like we did, uh, we went to it took him to his first wrestling show the other, like about last month, before everything you know shut down. Like the uh, the second to last AEW show they did with a crowd. <laughs> you know, I, oh, that cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, I had the, um, I was I was kind of was that over in the Denver? Idea. Yeah, I was up in Denver. Okay. So like we uh I, I mulled over the idea of doing a going and doing extra like work and whatnot. I like what they're doing right now. I think that I think they're, I mean they're show business it up, but I think that they're trying to approach it as legitimate a way as they possibly can. I like what they're doing. Oh, I'm I'm a huge fan. That's my that's my son's favorite. He'll watch he'll watch WWE and he'll watch TNA and whatnot and Impact, but like he'll he won't miss an AEW show. They're not just tipping the hat to the old school. They're actually diving in. You know, which is cool. Very. Oh cool. yeah, they bring out. Yeah, they bring, I mean, they got a good mix of you know the modern stuff and the older stuff. Well, I got yeah. like Cody and bringing in, you know, Cody, Sean Spears, bringing in guys like you know, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Jake Roberts. You know, it's a it's a good mix of everything. It's which is my personal flavor of ice cream as far as wrestling goes. I'm a big, you know, three ring circus guy myself. You know. If you don't like the acrobats, you're gonna like the clowns. If you don't like the clowns, you're gonna like the lion tamer. Whatever, you know, something right. for everybody. I I personally can't wait for next year to come around and see Scott Hall's uh, Scott Hall's son come in and make a and because they're gonna give him a push. I can't. I kind of can't wait to see that. 
That could be interesting. That could definitely be interesting. Yeah, I think that's actually going to be good because the kid is a fucking specimen, and he's bigger than Scott was, which is crazy. Yeah, I've seen I've seen him, and I've seen some of his New Japan stuff. I haven't seen anything of him. In like, I think he's in All Japan right now. Yeah, he's in AGPW. Yeah. As long yeah. as it doesn't bury his career, I mean, look at fucking Hanning's kid. I I think that was. Because, I, I think he's more if he's a victim of circumstance. I think. Yeah, I think um, that was a victim of type of deal. Yeah. Yeah, Scott has ingratiated himself back with Vince and everything, and I think it's going to work out fine. And uh, but um, yeah, his time in in Japan right now, definitely getting his chops. I can't wait to see him get a push stateside. He's going to be a fucking hell of a dude, man. I think. Yeah, I'll see what I'll see what happens with him. I mean, when I, when I saw him, he was like super green. So I'll see what happens with him when he's given an opportunity to actually do something. As long as they don't do to him what they do to most of their mainstay guys. Take talented roster and turn him into the three move Joes. Yeah, he's definitely past that already with his Japan work. I mean, he's chain wrestling right now. I mean, he's actually working good matches. Nice. Yeah. Right, but of course, one of the first people I, I point to when I mention the three the three move Joes, I think of people like John Cena, who are if you find older matches of Cena. Yeah. Before his WWE was push, a he was yeah. a cruiserweight. He was a tactician. <laughs> he was a mat wrestler. He was a high flyer. Then all of a sudden, he became the John Cena we all know. Well, like I said the other day on the other show, that's what ten years of Mexican high quality Mexican supplements will do for you. The whole thing with all their top guys, really. I mean, like. Freaking Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, he wasn't much of a technician. You look at stunning Steve Austin in WCW in the early 90s, this guy was freaking he amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. He could work in like a match with yeah. anybody on any any yeah. level, actually. Yeah. The Hollywood... Well, Rock and rock Memphis, when he was flexing commando, was better. Freaking, they were, they were few and far... They were few or far between guys that are amazing. That, like, when you look at them as main event guys, that don't kind of dumb down their technique. A lot of guys, uh, freaking guys, WWE's been doing that forever. Hogan mm-hmm. was another one. Yeah. Well, what you they know, did with Backlund um, whenever he made the comeback, he went yeah. from the one-hour Broadway every fucking night guy like Ric Flair used to be to doing the you know the three-move Joe kind of deal where we got to get him to the chicken wing. We're going to do a couple fucking bounces off the ropes and a couple bumps, and then I'm going to chicken wing you mm-hmm. and act like a butcher. You know, they turned him into a gimmick whenever before that from the late 70s. He was... Um, like the all-American fucking boy. Like Bruno Sammartino hated the fact that Vince Sr. put the belt on him. And then after he saw him carry the strap for the first year, he was like, all right, I'm not making a comeback. This kid's got it. Whereas before they talked Bruno into coming out of retirement three other fucking times. Like he'd been wrestling for 40 years. Whenever he gave the belt to Pedro and Ivan Koloff and finally to Bob Backlund, um, uh, not coming back to get it from Backlund, was like a big thing. Like that really told Backlund he was over uh, because Bruno wasn't coming back to fucking rescue the company. <laughs> and then they turned him into a fucking big gimmick. Wow. Uh-huh. Told you he's an encyclopedia. Now, understand, <laughs> Chris, what, you, what you're doing now is what, what uh, Tony used to do to me at shows. Yeah, I was, I was way smarter back then. Yeah. <laughs> I had a lot more stuff. A lot more stuff in my back pocket back then. <laughs> that's what ha- that's what happens when you take one too many chair shots. I told you that. I warned you about ah, that it's, shit. It's all college knowledge now. I'm freaking back in college, so <laughs> I do all that nonsense. What are you going to college for? 
Uh, right now, I'm trying to get my associate of sciences so I can get into a program to do radiology. Oh, good for you, bro. Cool. Yeah. Nice. So that's, that's the goal right now. So. So whenever the, whenever the word social first came out of your mouth, I thought you were going to say social services and be a social <laughs> worker. I was like, oh my fucking god, please don't do that. I don't hate There's no money in much. <laughs> He's not that much of a people <laughs> person. <laughs> no, never was. Those are paying to see me in my underwear. I don't freaking. I'm, I'm not really big on people. Now, see, now, see. I know, I know, I know. Tony was was worried about going going on this show, especially with me, because I'm sure he was worried about I was going to bring up some like uh, of the embarrassing stories. You know, not, I'm not going to do that to him. He's he's our honor. He's done too time. He, he's done too <laughs> much time between the ropes to embarrass him with with silly shit. That's for sure. Yeah. 18 years I, 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 I've done plenty of silly, silly shit in the middle of the ring. Don't feel bad. No. <laughs> yes, but our crowning our crowning achievement was making uh, work in the whole entire locker room and to think that we hated each other because of that one fucking girl. Oh, oh you work yeah. off a ring rat? Oh my god, it, it was she was a ring rat, but she was she was you know she was training to 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 come into the business. And she wanted the ballet. Well, she was sniffing after Tony. She was sniffing after me. Okay, yeah. And everybody else. And everybody else. And everybody else. And Tony and I got it into our heads. We're like, let's work this. So we, that's we started. A job, man. That's, we, uh, that's actually a good deal. So we started, we started, you know, we started acting like we hated each other. Like we wouldn't talk to each other. We would talk to her and she'd be feeding shit to her about me and feeding shit to me about him, you know, and, and. Like, oh, I'm gonna fuck him up, and we hang up the phone and call each other. Like, dude, do you believe what she said? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like we're we're <laughs> working it. Doing this? Yeah, and so we were. Oh, that's awesome. We yeah, were that's working good. it. We were working it for like what a good two, three months. We had uh, we had the owner of RMCW in, involved with it, and we had Queen Maeve in it. They were the only ones who knew what we were doing. You know, so finally well, we just one day, one day, uh. T- uh Tony and I decided we were going to let this come to a head at, at training. So he comes in. He's like, I'm going to fuck you up. I say, come on, bring it. He jumps into the ring, and we're, we're, we're shoot fighting. We're, we're beating the shit out of each other. And this poor girl's in the corner, like, watching this breakdown, realizing she caused all this. We have other workers in RMCW sitting there like, fuck it, let them go. You know, Maeve and... and That's and, true, yeah. And, and, um, so yeah. Pitbull and, and, and Acid ride. and all that, Wild Ride. They were all like, fuck it, let him go, let him go, let him go. You know, finally, you know, the, the promoter and Maeve separate us, and the promoter fires us. Both of us are being kicked out of the ring and shit. And as as uh, Tony and I are walking out, we turn around, by the way, we got you. Like, we let the cat out of the bag. That poor girl never came back. Also, you scrambled yeah. her brain at the same time. Good deal. <laughs> Because a lot of those ring rats deserve that shit, man. They're always looking for an end to get in some guy's pocket, or maybe that's their their door into the business. And uh, you know, I mean, uh, they're useful in their ways, but they're always they always have an angle that they're playing. And uh, to work one over and work the boys at the same time, man, that's a good job. That's a good job. <laughs> that was one of our crowning that achievements. <laughs> that in the devil's hand. That in the devil's hand. That in the devil's hand. Those those go into the highlight reel. <laughs> in, in closing to the Hulk Hogan discussion, um, one question for both of you. Both of you have millions more miles uh, in in the biz than I do. But 
Um, my biggest disappointment of the entire Hulk Hogan era was the superpowers with Macho Man and the way they broke down Elizabeth. Because I don't think there's ever been a finer chick and a finer worker as far as being a lady in the business than Miss Elizabeth. And I thought that that was just a horrible pan to the, to the, to the marks. And I thought it was a horrible waste of time for Vince to stretch that out over two WrestleManias. What's your all's opinion on it? Well, it's kind of funny because uh, I, I I recently watched the uh, the Chris Benoit story on YouTube from Vice uh, uh-huh. between yeah. the ropes or whatever. And one of the things yeah, that like Chris or whatever, yeah. And, I, and Chris Jericho was actually talking about woman uh, in in that interview and how she was like the last of the valets. You know, and the real valets, yes. the real, yeah. the real valets, and who knew how to work a crowd and knew how to, to bring heat or or whatever for for the man she was, you know, representing, and how it was a lost art because every female nowadays they they've got to, you know they got to be Ron, you know they've got to be a female worker and 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 wrestler and a badass. They can't just be the right. elegant woman in the background or whatever. So it's a very much a lost art. So of course I have that in my head right now. And thinking about the, the the mega powers, which I haven't thought of in a very long time, you're <laughs> right. It, it it pretty much did kill uh, Elizabeth as far as you know. I don't want to use the term eye candy, but she was she was very much like the first lady of pro wrestling, and in every aspect of the word. And they kind of just cheapened her up to being another act. It, and it, it really killed the whole profile of how her and Savage, because I remember Savage as Randy Poffo and wrestling with Lanny and their their dad. Uh, they wrestled in southern Illinois, and uh, whenever he first came in with Miss Elizabeth, she wasn't Miss Elizabeth at the time. She was just his girlfriend who came to the ring and made sure his pictures got taken and his T-shirts got sold. She was with him for a long fucking time. And... Like she was like a high school sweetheart from Florida, and um, um, the way that she was then through to the superpowers, she really did not change. Whenever she was here in the Memphis area, whenever they first showed up in the WWF, and the old NWA stint that he had, um, Miss Elizabeth, the way that she worked that, along with maybe Missy Hyatt, are the only two like. And woman, she was badass, especially in her day with Kevin Sullivan. But those those three are like the last of the real valets. But the superpowers thing like totally changed how everyone. She got booed for the first fucking time because of that. How the fuck are you going to make Miss Elizabeth get booed? Well, see that that's that what, that's fucking thing. That that's what I mean. Like if I if I can use like a as a for for an example of what I mean. Uh, if I were to use ECW characters, for example, uh, I would say throughout her career, Elizabeth would be like uh, Beulah McGillicuddy, just like <laughs> the, the the beautiful face yeah. of of a company. After the Mega Powers fiasco, it really kind of turned her into a Francine. Yeah, you know, and, and it was uh, and, which is no disrespect came... to those ladies, by the way, but just two completely yeah. different characters and and the way they were presented. I get, I get what you're saying, and and it also because of the way that it uh, they made, which Savage, it, 
as Randy Poffo coming up through the Memphis and, and the old uh, MCW days and all that other stuff that he did before he hit the mainstream, like he was a super paranoid motherfucker to begin with. And then to play on that like Vince did, like he literally made that motherfucker lose his mind for a minute. Right. And that really wasn't cool either. And then you get the big roided out Randy Savage that you got in WCW where he, you know, he did the Spider-Man appearance and all that stuff. He was roided out of his fucking head during that. But he was a complete fucking mess after all of that. Like, that really fucked with him, and it fucked with her. And Hogan just kept on kind of cruising, you know, and that's kind of the, like the bad thing that you take from Hogan where he never gave back. He should have put Savage over many times, especially in WCW, and he never returned the favor in any kind of way. Mm-hmm. What about you, Tom? Or, excuse me, Tony. I don't know why I said Tony. <laughs> All good. But no, um, I don't know, because like, you know, from a, fr- from a fan perspective, you know, if we hadn't, if they hadn't have broken them up, and they had, you know, Elizabeth and Savage hadn't broken up, we wouldn't have got that comeback at WrestleMania 7, which I don't care what anybody says is that was a great legendary match. and yeah. way better. Yeah, it was, a, it was A, it was a better match, and B, freaking him and Elizabeth, like him throwing Elizabeth up on his shoulders and them leaving together was like a real WrestleMania moment. Not like what they just did with Otis and Mandy uh, Mandy Rose kissing. It's, right. Which is cool, but it, it is, people are comparing it to Macho and Elizabeth getting back together. Not even in the same universe. That, yeah. Like that, that was a moment. Yeah. People openly wept in the crowd when that happened. So like, as <laughs> no. a fan, I have no issue with it, and I think it was great, because I think it, it, led, it actually led somewhere, which a lot of WWE stuff doesn't. And but on the other hand, as far as like like you said with the macho's legitimate you know mental stuff, you know that's horrible to do to somebody, but it's kind of on par with what WWE does to people. Right. They there there are many stories of people of them screwing with a talent just to screw with a talent. So that, well, that, look what they does. did with you know Kurt Henning and yeah. many other guys. You know, I mean, they fuck them up. Yeah. Which is uh. You know, it is what it is, but yeah. that's like yeah, one of the tragedies of modern wrestling, right. I think, is the Miss Elizabeth, uh, her dying. And, uh, yeah. you know, later Savage, he was actually uh, posthumously put in as Man of the Year at Harvard the year after he passed away. Did you guys know that? I did not. I knew, no. I knew he'd gotten it in like 99, but I, yeah. didn't, I didn't know about the, the, you know, the repeat. Yeah, he, he's the only two-time winner of Man of the Year from Harvard. And the oh, second wow. time was after after he passed away. And you're talking about a list that includes presidents. He's the nice. only two-time guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, well earned then. <laughs> it speaks volumes. Yeah, but, definitely. But, uh, all right, well, the big thing, Mr. Uh, Mr. Michaels, the big thing we can talk about now uh, to end this yeah. show is what is going to be the topic of conversation next week. I think we should sit here and have a debate about it right now. We could even have our guests come in on it. I have an idea I'll throw on the table okay. for you. This this could I be the too. go ahead. This 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 could be the debate topic of next week. Was Brock Lesnar the correct man for the Undertaker to end his WrestleMania streak with? That is a good one. Mine is a little bit. Um, uh, mine's a little bit more historically inclined. I don't know. Well, I mean, ending the Undertaker streak, how much more historical can you be than that? Right. Um, but my my topic was NWA, WCW, or WWE. Which title run of Ric Flair's was most important to wrestling? 
Ooh. Damn, that's rough. <laughs> yeah. I guess the tiebreaker both, both would be valid. our guest. <laughs> both are interesting. Um, you know, Brock Lesnar would definitely more current, obviously, but I'm I'm more of a historical fan myself. I'm gonna say go with the with the title reigns for Ric Flair. Flair, it is. We could just put uh, Lesnar on the back burner where he belongs anyway. Um, <laughs> for a future hey, show. Did you guys uh, see the uh, Big Ten Wrestling Championships where his son won the heavyweight? Did no. you see that? Did not. Ah oh, man, yeah, the kid's a beast. He's 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 the real deal. But anyway, nice. God bless. Yeah, he he's a fucking badass man, actually. Nice. Well, guys, yeah. that that's going to do it for the first episode of Blown Spots. I definitely want to thank our guest, Mr. Uh, Tony Morales, for uh, taking some time out of his busy day to some come talk historics with us and uh, have a little wrestling dispute for. But wait a minute, did we did we ever come up with a final verdict for Hogan? Like over uh, too overrated for the business? Like would it have existed without him? No, we never no, actually never uh, did. Kind of like settled on that. I don't think. I think. I think we need. I need to think. We need a final verdict. Uh, and I'll start with Tony on that. Huh. I don't. I for, for the honestly for the originally fantastic NWO was still good for a while. After that, everything's you know, with the exception, with the lone notable exception of probably freaking the Rock freaking Hogan match. I would say you know the last couple of years. I think it comes down to the whole concept of. You know, you can either die a hero or live long enough to become the villain. I think you know currently Hogan's a villain. Yeah, that's fair yeah. enough. But what what I'm what I'm meaning is like uh, the the current state of professional wrestling, the world that it's in today, the mainstream that it is today. Would uh would WWE have won the Monday Night Wars? Would the Monday Night Wars even existed? Would ECW have risen and fallen? Would Steve Austin become the icon that he became? Would The Undertaker have a 30-match winning streak at WrestleMania without Hulk Hogan and his contributions? No, I think I think you need Hogan. I think you needed a star, and Hogan was that star. So I, I think from, from day one, you needed a star. You needed Hogan. My, my vote is um, WrestleMania 1 was what it was because of Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant that created WrestleMania which we're seeing the 36th iteration of it this past weekend, which sucked balls. Um, <laughs> I didn't even watch it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's exactly the right answer. Um, I, I think that the wrestling today, even though it has moved well beyond Hulkamania, I think r- wrestling becoming mainstream would not have happened without the Hulkamania Rock and rock and uh, rock and wrestling connection and all of that stuff. It wouldn't have there. There wasn't anybody else who could have carried that torch successfully. I don't think. See, I'll be the devil's advocate here. Um, I think I think things sure. played out the way it played out because of Hulk Hogan and his contributions. The character definitely brought wrestling into the mainstream. That being said, though, I'm a firm believer that things that are meant to happen are going to happen regardless of who's in place. So if Hulk Hogan never existed somebody else would have become that role and things still would have played out the way they were meant to play out. Okay. I firmly believe that wrestling business could still exist in the powerhouse that it is without Hulk Hogan's contributions. That's not taken away from his contributions. That's just believing in the business beyond one man. Well, that goes back to my argument. I said the other day that I think the greatest American art 
is the art of kayfabe. Um, well beyond that of jazz or you know movie production or anything, I think the art of kayfabe is is something that is lost on a lot of people. They don't understand what it is, but to an extent, you're probably right. Um, you know, and I could be completely wrong. Just my personal opinion. <laughs> yeah. Dum, dum, dum. So again, so again, guys, thank you very much for joining us for our first episode here. If you enjoyed what you heard, please hit that thumbs up button, like, share, comment, subscribe, check out all the other great podcasts like uh, Mr. Rudder's going to tell you about his and I'll tell you about mine. But of course, also, you could check, you find everything on audio formats where every quality podcast can be heard. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, and of course, make sure you're going, if you're in the Denver area, go check out my boy, Tony Morales. So he can like, you know, throw things at you and call you dirty names. Cause you're still a heel, right? Yep. Right, chairs get, and everything. There you go. Throw, throwing chairs, kitchen sink, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe some fallen deviled ham. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Get some of that. <laughs> go, go ahead, Mr. Michael, tell them where they can find you. And then, uh, what's your F and binge? Yeah, so uh, the name of our show is What's Your F and Binge? We talk to people about what they're currently binge-watching. We put a twist on it and take a game show approach. We have to guess at what show it is that you're watching based on a series of clues. Sometimes we're right, sometimes we're wrong. doesn't really matter. just adds to the comedy of it. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, TikTok, and YouTube, all under the title of What's Your F and Binge, or you can reach us at email uh, at What's Your F and Binge, gmail.com. Nice. And of course, you can find me right here on Realm of the Mist Entertainment, where you're going to find this podcast. But of course, you're also going to find other great quality podcasts. And of course, our sister channel, Sounds Dicey Gaming, for all your video game and tabletop content needs. And like I said before, if you want uh, your podcasts in audio only format, you can find Realm of the Mist on Anchor.fm, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever quality podcasts can be heard. Guys, thanks again for hanging out with us. We'll catch you on the next one where we will be discussing the, uh, obviously, the title reigns of one Ric Flair. Till then, let's get it in the ring. Have a good night, guys. <laughs>